All right, we're going to uh, be looking at uh, the letters, uh, particularly to Titus today. Uh, Titus was overseeing, uh, thanks Gary, Titus was overseeing a uh, church in a city called Crete, uh, and we'll learn a little bit more about the Cretans or the Cretans, depends how you, or how you read the word. Um, but it's on U version. If you're using U version, uh, I was reminded of this during the week. If you're using U version, you want those references again for later in the week as part of your life group. It's important that you click save so that when you go back to it later in the week, you'll be able to follow those texts again. U version is great. You can type in notes as you go. Bring note paper, bring your own notes, write and highlight your own Bible, whatever is most helpful for your learning as well. We encourage you to go and read for yourself as well. But as we've said, these letters to Timothy and Titus, uh, they're young, letters to young pastors in local churches, serving local churches. Perhaps their first ministry, not very old it would seem. Uh, we don't know a lot uh, except they are being encouraged by Paul in these letters, or most, a lot of scholars think Paul, a lot of scholars think a disciple of Paul who tried to use his language. You can debate that regardless. There's still some significant lessons for us to learn um, as these letters are encouraged, uh, encouragements to young leaders, to young churches. And essentially the question through these letters is, what does it mean, what does it mean for a community of faith to bear testimony and witness to Jesus? In a world that is in upheaval, in a world that is ruled by a dominant empire, the Roman Empire, a ruthless Roman Empire, an overbearing Roman Empire, uh, a destructive Roman Empire, particularly against people of the way, people who call themselves Christians, people who call themselves followers of Jesus. What does it look like to bear testimony and witness to the ways of Jesus? Now, our world has changed dramatically. But as we've reflected over the last few weeks, certainly the world is no less in upheaval, yeah? Uh, and there, look, the world has been in upheaval for thousands of years. That part shouldn't be a surprise. The way it's in upheaval is constantly changing. And through these letters, there's this constant invitation and reminder to care for one another. And I highlighted and expressed the word care uh, for one another, for a particular point, which we'll unpack in a, in a moment, but also um, <clears throat> to go a bit deeper in our care to disciple generations across generations as God builds His church. Okay, um, so let's let's read this uh, scripture from Titus chapter two. Uh, Titus chapter two, uh, the first eight verses. You, however, so you, Titus, however must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, when you see the word however, there's something happening before that. There's some challenges before that. And if, you go, if we've been around the last few weeks, if, you have, if you're just joining us today, the however is pointing to the challenges, uh, the, the godless myths and stories and endless arguments that's been described in this community. So there's a lot happening in this community. So now Paul's getting personal. This is what I want you to do, Titus. Teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Sound teaching. Sound understanding. A sound way of being. So teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. 
Now, remember a few weeks ago I spoke about uh, the nature of women, the uh, influence of women, the role of women, particularly in the church and this local community. Um, and as we see this particularly today but with the, the men and the women, the older and the younger. All right, So he doesn't leave anyone out. All right. So the next few sentences you need to breathe. But it's worth asking when we come to passages like this, one of the most significant questions we need to answer is, what is happening in this community that Paul needs to write those instructions? Would it be unreasonable, do you think, to assume that the older men are quite frankly being obnoxious dropkicks? They're hot-tempered, hot-headed, arrogant and thoughtless. Now I'm reading into that, but I don't, like obviously there's some issues here in this community, yeah? All right. Would it be unreasonable to assume that older women are not behaving in a way that might be appropriate to the ways of Jesus, as with older men? Would it be appropriate to assume that older women are going around drunk? Would it be appropriate to assume that the older women are walking around the countryside, this town called Crate, in a bunch of cretins, slandering people? All right, this is, this is not, there's some truths here and an eternal principle, but this is not about men and women per se. All right, so now just breathe. And to teach what is good. So heaven knows what they're teaching if he has to say, teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, <gasps> to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Again, there'll be some people in this room that will be going, yes. And yeah, okay, fair enough. There'll be other people in this room that'll be going, this is why the Bible doesn't make any sense today. Watching online. Watching online in 10 years' time and accusing me of something. Um, thanks for coming. Um, what can I say here? I think, just briefly, this is a side note for us. Hmm. There is such a diversity of responses happening in our community at the moment. There'll be some women who'll be loving this. There'll be some women who, yes, that, I just want to be at home. There's some women who long to be at home. There's some women who long to be married. There's some women who long to have children. This is not the defining factor of our faith, though. This does not make or break the relationship or the part that we play in our community, okay? Having children and being married is not a requirement of faith, and if you're a single person and someone comes up to you and says, oh, it's about time you get married. When are you having kids? If you're just getting married and someone says to you, oh, when are you having kids? You have my permission to slap them. <laughs> or send them to me so I can slap them for you. Now, one of the challenges, I think this is a huge statement for men as well. Because I think one of the challenges for men at the moment is this uncertainty of what our role is. Because now we have, um, see, once upon a time, not that long ago, men used to go to work. Men still go to work. Um, but whew, we, um, 
This is a side note, so it needs to move through quickly. Help me out here. Um, men used to go to work, and that used to be the role in the house. Yeah? I provide for the house. I bring the income in. That's my role. The, the woman stays home. And there's still some people who stay at home. Andrea was, that was all Andrea wanted to do, was be a stay-at-home mum. That was her heartbeat. Absolutely. That, that, so, there's, but, so now we're in this place where we have um, this such diversity and strength of women and uh, a sense of skill and resources. Among, I'm not going to say this well. I'm going to get myself into trouble, but I think it's worth the risk. Um, women who go to work, and that's a decision that they've made in their home, and men who are still sitting over here going, but I go to work and I bring the income in. So what's my role now? And women over here going to work and working full time and still coming home and organising all the kids in the house and being frustrated and men are going over here saying, I don't understand what you want me to do. I go to work for you. You with me? Is there, am I hitting, is this a spot or not? All right. So actually men, I think Timothy, Paul would write to people now and I'd, I think, you know, if I was writing this letter, I'd say, hey, in today's, hey, women, you know, I want to celebrate who you are. You've got this enormous freedom. You've got this enormous scope. You've got enormous choices and opportunities and enormous freedoms. We give thanks for the gift that you bring into our community. You have a unique gift in being able to bear children, to have children. You have a particular heart that men don't have quite frankly. Many men don't have quite frankly. And to men, hey men, you've got to change the way that you think about the world because no longer is your role purely to go, to, if it ever was, purely to go to work and just bring in the income. You've got a responsibility here to look after your wife and to look after your home as much as your wife has. That's all. <laughs> I thought. Like, I know, look, I think, and women, look, you've got to be patient with us men, all right? We're a bit thick. We're one-dimensional thinkers. I go to work. I come home. <laughs> women, like, guys, you've got to understand, you think about the resources that our women have. They go to work, they come home, and they go to work. You've got to do the same thing. All right? Um, and, you know, guys, you know, your wives go, if you're married, your wives go away. <laughs> And you say, yeah, sure, go away for the weekend. And your wife's going, what are you going to eat? Oh, don't worry about it. Is the house going to be a bombshell? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Men go away. I'm going away, babe. See you later. Just got to give a little bit. All right, that's a side note. Let's come and talk to me afterwards. Okay. Here we go. Let's... Uh, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Again, what's happening? In everything to set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Oh, we need to think about the language we use, the words that we use. So let me highlight this nature of care. We're caring for the community. This is, this, this is a word to care for the community. 
What does it look like to care for the community? In the modern church, and I don't know over a period of time, regardless of the size of the church, particularly in smaller churches, and if you've grown up through a small church um, and, uh, or, and then you move to a medium to large church with more people, it gets a little bit harder because in a smaller church, everybody knows everybody. And that's actually really difficult to break into at times because everybody knows everybody. Um, it wasn't that long ago that this church was completely connected by family heritage. Um, um, but we often think about care as supporting, getting alongside one another, following up, checking in. Historically, it's been about what the minister does. Does the minister visit or not? Does the minister call me? Um, and and uh, so that's the nature of care. And that's a very small idea of caring. The Church of Christ here, we have a great team of people. And you might, have received, you might have received some text messages. You might have received cards. We have a great team of people who go and visit in the hospital and in our nursing homes. Um, enormous amount of care that happens in the church, let alone what happens in our life groups, let alone what happens in your friendship groups. And in fact, care should be a high priority at that level because we are instructed to care for the sick. We are instructed to uh, care for the lonely, the discouraged, the widow, the poor. We are instructed, commanded to respond to needs to bring care into the community. Yeah? So I want to understand that. I want us to recognise that and celebrate that. And it's difficult work. It can be unsettling work because often that level of care doesn't actually change the circumstances. It rarely changes the circumstances, particularly over the last couple of years. I might have already said this a few times, but the amount of phone calls that I made made me acutely aware that the amount of times that you hang up the phone, and you can't change the circumstances. I can't ring up nursing homes and say, you will let them visit their mother. I couldn't ring up the hospital administration and say, hey, you've got to let more than one person into the hospital to see someone. I can't change that circumstance. But the ministry of presence is powerful. The ministry of paying attention is powerful. All of which all of you are capable of doing. Just being present, paying attention. But what if the nature of care was to go a little bit deeper in our care is actually an invitation to disciple one another. Here's what I mean. We love this kind of Jesus. See, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. We love that story. Jesus cares. He was with the family in their grief. In their grief. On the cross, Jesus instructed, get the presence of mind here. While Jesus was dying on the cross, his instruction was to the disciple that he loved, who we believe was John, to take care of, his, of Jesus' mother. And then to his mother, he says to her, this is your son. I mean, can you imagine the presence of mind while you're suffocating on a cross and his heart is for his mum and the disciple he loves to care for one another? I mean, we love that kind of Jesus, don't we? That's a beautiful kind of Jesus. I don't know why my voice went up an octave then. Um, Jesus healed people. He welcomed the outcast. He welcomed and blessed the children. He spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well when he shouldn't have. He approached and released the woman caught in adultery. The sinful woman who washed his feet, he welcomed and he loved. He actually said that this story will be told about her for generations. 
That would have been shocking. He calls the blind man to him when everyone's telling him to shut up. He washes the feet of the disciples, even the disciple who betrayed him. We love that Jesus, don't we? He shared meals and accepted invitations to parties. He told jokes as he sat with his closest disciples. Did you hear the one about the camel going through the eye of the needle is easier than the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven? That's a joke. This is good news. We participate, Jesus participates in life with us. Hey, buddy. We like this Jesus. We can cope with this Jesus. And then there's this Jesus. The Jesus who looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. On more than one occasion, he asks the disciples what they might have been arguing about on the road. In moments, he wonders how long he will spend with his disciples and the crowd. He tells his disciples that they have little faith, but even with that, they could walk on water and move mountains. He teaches that greatness isn't about your position, your family heritage, how long you've been attending church, how long you've been attending a particular synagogue. Your greatness isn't about status or power, but is in serving. He tells two brothers that he can't decide where they'll sit in heaven. He calls religious people stiff-necked, blind, hard-hearted and brood of vipers. You know those people that did all the right things and showed up to all the right church services? He instructs people to love their enemies. He instructs the disciples to feed the thousands when they don't have any food at their fingertips. And then this crazy, unexpected, over-the-top, extravagant grace, the undeserved favour and love of God for all people in the cross. What kind of care would you prefer? I know which one we prefer. Which one do you think we need the most? Which one do you think this world needs the most? The Jesus buddy? Hey, buddy, how you going? So Paul writes these letters to a community. And this is what he says to Titus in chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. There are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. All right, so here you go. You're getting an idea of what's happening in the community, especially those of the circumcision group, especially those of the heritage group, especially those of the lineage group, especially those who are ticking off the, the religious tasks. They must be silenced because they are disrupting the whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. All right, so they're teaching things and they're dishonest about it. They're filling their own pockets. <laughs> One of the Crete's, Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. Man, imagine being called to that church. You, you rock up, or actually you don't rock up, you follow Paul, and then Paul says to you, hey Titus, stay here buddy. And then he reminds him. <laughs> They're a bunch of liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. Oh, gee, thanks, Paul. Appreciate your confidence in me. And then he says, therefore, out of this, teach the older and the younger people. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort... Uh, he sums it up in Timothy like this, sorry. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers... Older women as mothers and younger men 
as sisters with absolute purity. I'm in this stage of life now where my relationship with my parents is changing, has changed. Um, there's, you're still my mum and dad, I know, yes. Um, they are, they're still my parents, but the conversation has changed and moved out of this parent-child, child-parent conversation into an adult-adult conversation. Um, I, I like to think that's happening. I'm interested in your reflections. Um, my mum and dad might have different reflections about that. Um, in fact, uh, a few times recently, my mum has said, Simon, that's not how I raised you. You know, I'm still your mother. And I said, it's okay, mum, I'm 50 now. Um, she loves me for it. Um, and so it's not about dishonouring or disrespecting. And I, I think we've probably held this, you know, we've held this opening statement over younger people particularly um, without hearing all the time. And younger people, I know, we can all be brushed. Do you remember when you were 18 to 25, 30 and you thought you were going to save the world? You had all the answers. Do you remember some of you are there right now? Um, and we kind of forget that. Um, see, Paul is saying here, your life has to be a reflection of the truth that you hold, the teaching that you've received. The invitation is to be distinctive from the community you're part of. You are a part of this community, he's saying. He's not saying live in some isolated way. You are a part of this community. But live a part of this community knowing who you are in Jesus. Live a part of this community knowing who you are in Jesus. And if anything, if I can encourage you in anything, this would be the point. Know who you are in Jesus and live as part of the community out of that relationship first. And teach the community, regardless of their age, to, live out, to love and live out of the heart of Christ. Bear the fruit of the relationship with Jesus. The way we live, the way we speak, the way we engage should advance the word. It should give people cause to think and to ask, what's happening in that person's life? When you leave a room, we should leave it differently than when we walked in, if you're a follower of Jesus. The question, I've heard this, this isn't mine, are we thermometers that simply adapt to the temperature of the room? Are we thermometers that simply walk into a room and just go along with what's ever happening in the room, the conversations, the thoughts, the way of life? Are we the thermometers that go into our friendship groups and just start talking about our husbands or our wives or our bosses or our colleagues or our church the same way that they talk about it? Or are we the thermostats? Are we the ones that set the temperature, the mode, the attitude, the heartbeat of that room? in our workplaces, in our homes. And some of us are facing some difficult circumstances. I'm not disputing that. I, I don't know how hard those places are, but I know the one who does, and he still says to you, hey, I'm with you. You could be the thermostat in this place. You don't have to be the thermometer. I know how hard it will be for you to be the one who sets the temperature or alters the temperature or changes the atmosphere or the environment of that room. I've been there, but I'm with you. And I, says Jesus, and I'm greater than anyone else in this world. 
I just want to, um, in terms of the generations, I remember um, someone encouraging me when I was in my first ministry. I went to my first ministry and a lot of my reports, a lot of my ideas, a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my thinking often started with, I know I'm inexperienced or I know I'm only young or I know I'm only new to this. And then one evening, uh, Ian Mansell, he would have been over 70, uh, he pulled me aside. I think we were going home together in the same car and he said, Simon, you've got to stop saying that. What do you mean? He said, Simon, we employed you here for a purpose. We called you here for a purpose. We need your enthusiasm. We need your vision. We need your energy. We need your heart. I mean, could a 70-year-old say anything better to a smart aleck 25-year-old, 26-year-old? That was my first ministry. And here was this 70-year-old guy who was willing to say to this guy in his first ministry, Hey, come on, buddy, let's go. If only we could have that kind of attitude and mindset. Reflecting on these letters, commentators write this. In brief, the local church is rightly called the church family in which there are fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, not to mention aunts and uncles, grandparents and children. Leaders should not be insensitive and treat everybody alike. No, they must behave towards their elders with respect, affection and gentleness, their own generation with equality, the opposite sex with self-control and purity, and all ages of both sexes with that love which binds together members of the same family. And I would say specifically to leaders and I understand that, but I want to suggest there are people in this room that have the, the mantle of leadership, the understanding of leadership, or if you don't have that, you think that you deserve some sense of respect and authority and at the same time will complain and gripe about those who are coming after you or complain and gripe because people younger than you or people that don't know you didn't give you the respect or the honour that you felt you deserved. Guess what? You're the adult. Behave like one. There is much, pra- <laughs> there is much practical wisdom here for everybody called to Christian leadership and especially for younger people given responsibility beyond their years. If you're younger, guess what? You are not called to save the world. You will not save the world. But if you pay attention, you might contribute with your energy and the wisdom of the older people that have been around a little bit, you could do some pretty cool things. This is the perennial problem, an eternal problem, an ongoing problem. Older people have always found it difficult to accept young people. These are not my words. I just want to clarify, older people have always found it difficult to accept young people as responsible adults in their own right, let alone as leaders. And young people are understandably irritated when their elders keep reminding them of their immaturity and inexperience and treat them with contempt. Surely we can do better than that, couldn't we? And I think this is the call of these letters. Regardless of the generations, we are discipling one another. Regardless of your experience, we are discipling one another. 
Some people uh, attend large gatherings because they can hide or they like the crowd, the buzz of the crowd. Uh, some people prefer the large gatherings. Some people get excited about the large gatherings. We come in, we get our feel, we feel good and we go home and we forget about anything that we've heard or seen. Some people will find the large gathering uh, too large. It's too hard to connect. It's too hard to be in relationship. This might not be your primary source of care. But then that becomes the excuse where we disconnect from other relationships. Oh, it's too hard to connect into a life group. It's too hard to find some friends. It's pretty hard when we just walk in and then walk out again. That makes it really difficult. Some people in a crowd, and and this doesn't matter what size of gathering there is. I've seen this in a crowd of 15. I've seen this in a crowd of 200, 1,000 people. Some people will be and gather and be a part of a life group and will still feel left out, ignored, not seen and judged. Some will attend but live in isolation. We disconnect because we don't feel like anyone cares or we tried to care for other people and we got hurt along the way. Welcome to humanity. And COVID has provided a great resource, online streaming. Beautiful resource. We've got a number of people who watch throughout the district, watch throughout the nation even, which does my head in. A few people who might watch overseas every now and then. But at the same time, online viewing creates the risk of disconnection. Because, you know, you switch it on, you watch it, you switch it off and you're done. Your convenience. It's a great resource, but it's not always that helpful in community. None of this is judgment, but the reality of the spectrum of everyone who is part of the Horsham Church of Christ, indeed part of the church. See, we can easily become prosthetic limbs rather than being attached as body of Christ by ligaments and muscles with Christ as the head. And if we want to influence and shape the world, for those of us who have declared Jesus Christ as Lord, we need to work out again what it looks like to be reconnected with Christ as the head of the church and to be reconnected with one another, knowing that every now and then we're going to be wounded along the way. But by his wounds, we are healed. Kind of forget that when we get our own wounds, don't we? See, this letter isn't simply an, um, an ancient text that changed the course of history. It's a personal instruction. It's about the gathered community. It's about the family groups. It's about the small groups. It's about the home groups that would have been happening. It's about the family celebrations that would have been happening in the community. We might call it now as in terms of gathering as the body for corporate worship, which is still a vital part of who we are. But it's also about the life groups that we offer. It's also about the smaller groups in the districts that are searching and hungry for new life to be um, given birth. It's about new mission opportunities to, to go out and set the temperature in our community again. Consider, friends, how you will cheer on those around you. Consider your thoughts. Consider your words. Consider your attitudes. Consider um, how you treat one another. Regardless of how people treat you, you set the tone. I set the tone as followers of Jesus. To the younger, as I said, you will not save the world. 
Your ideas might be great ideas and they might not be the best ideas that we've ever heard. But you would also do well to experience from the, the wisdom of those who are around you who are older. We need your energy, we need your enthusiasm and passion to stir us again to try new things or to try old things in a new way. We need your energy to pursue new opportunities. We need you to be patient with us. And I do say us as one of the older people in the room or getting up that way. Recognising how rapidly the world is changing and has changed. I can't keep up with it. Older people need, but here's the thing, for younger people, older people need your love and they want to be seen and recognised just as much as you do. If you're older, you've done some great things. You've made some great sacrifices. You've given so much and you've taught so much. Your faithfulness and your needs, uh, your prayers are needed and important. Your encouragement is required regardless of how the younger generation responds. Your encouragement and your wisdom should not be conditional. And if it is, it's conditional on the love of the Father. Not on whether you agree with it or not. Not on whether you like how that 25-year-old or that 5-year-old or that 8-year-old, that 15-year-old responded to you. Be the adult, be the grandparent, be the parent. Love anyway. Because you know what kids and younger generation want to know? They want to know that they're seen and that they feel safe in this mixed up world. You've seen some stuff, you've done some stuff. Your encouragement is required. You're not done yet. Just because it didn't work when you tried it, when we tried it, doesn't mean it won't work when the next generation picks it up. I wonder how well we would do things if we would, instead of saying, oh, we've tried that once and it didn't work, we would say, hey, we tried that once and we learned some things. It didn't work when we do it. Hey, but let, let us help you make it work. Let's help each other. You would do well as an older generation. We would do well as an older generation to find out how we can serve them and if they're interested in your wisdom rather than thinking that it's your right to impart your wisdom. Because regardless of age, our young children, our young adults, our youth just want to know that they are seen and that they are loved for who they are. The same as you. Regardless of your age, may we check our attitudes. Thanks team as their team comes up. Regardless of our age, may we check our behaviour. Regardless of our age, may we check the way that we talk to each other and about each other. Because honestly, like, what makes us attractive to people who don't yet know Jesus if we don't even treat our own people well? We've got some work to do. There's a great opportunity, there's a great invitation for us. And as we've asked all throughout this series, what's your one next step? Like, you know, we've sung some great songs today. We've heard some great invitations about posture, about heart, about surrender. I surrender all. (laughs) 
One of the saddest reflections, I think, in a Christian community is that we feel we can leave our burdens at the door. And I think that's actually saying, I'll just pick them up on the way out. But then we sing songs like, I surrender all. Oh no, I wish I had have gone and got prayer today, but oh, I just couldn't. That's not a criticism or a judgment. It's just, hey, here's your opportunity. I surrender all. Oh, you know, I wish I had to ask someone, you know, I wish, you know, I just feel like God's asking me to go and, you know, speak to that person who, I don't know, just really attract, you know, something attracted me to them about their wisdom or their experience or their youthfulness or maybe they've got something to offer me. Like, what if I just went up and introduced myself and said, hey, I just really need some help. Or, or I just, look, I don't actually need your help. Could you just pray for me? Can you imagine a church that did that? And then if someone asks you to pray for them, because, you know, there's a lot of mature, wise Christians in this room, it's then on you to go and follow them up the next week and say, hey, how'd that go? I was praying for you this week. Or actually get your phones out or get your pen and paper out and say, hey, what's your phone number? Can I call you this week? What's your one step? Seriously. What's your one decision? Is it a decision about how you'll treat your boss? Is it a decision about how you'll treat your children, your grandchildren? Is it a decision about how you'll walk in this building? Is it a decision about something that you need to lay down against your husband, your wife, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, your parents, your grandparents? Is it something you need help in from the past that you've not spoken to anyone about? What if we were that kind of space? What if we were that kind of people? I surrender all. We will, we'll go, um, we're going to finish with uh, I Speak Jesus because, you know, it's a beautiful song, great song. And if you need Jesus spoken over you, look, this is how we want to do it. If, if I really want to invite us, as we do every week. It's been, I've, reflecting on this, I've been wondering what the difference is. I don't know what the difference is and I've got to be careful here because sometimes I can see this, this is my imperfection, this is about me surrendering. You know, sometimes when no one responds, I kind of say, oh, you know, what did I do wrong? <laughs> so, you know, that's my wrestle. I've got to come every day, every week and say, you know, I, I surrender all. <laughs> and I really want to invite you as, as we speak, Jesus, if you've got an addiction, if you've got a heartache, if you've got a thought, if you've got a behaviour, if you've got an attitude, if you've got a financial problem that you can't break, if you've got a, a marital problem that you can't break, if you've got a work problem that you can't break, move, please. I implore you. And then just trust Jesus. We're gonna, I'm not going to come up to you. No one will come up to you until after the song. And we'll just check if you want a conversation or want prayer. But if you're just with Jesus, we'll leave you there. Because He's the great healer. He's the great minister. I speak Jesus.